Good morning to the most beautiful people in the West Rand. Amen, amen. Well, um, if you are joining us from home, as you've heard, welcome. I want to extend a special welcome to you. Pray that you're really going to enjoy the service and experience God's presence there. So this morning, I've got so much to go through. So I'm starting a brand new series today that I'm calling Foundations. Say Foundations. Amen. So um, this morning, just a fair warning, I'm going to go over my time. Okay. So what's new, Pastor Norman? It's for me, you know. <laughs> just <laughs> I'm going to go over my time. I, I wanted to almost break it up into two messages but um yes that's how long you're going to sit here close the doors please ushers okay <laughs> um i wanted to break it up into two messages but i just realized uh, it is such a touch go topic that i'm dealing with this morning that um yeah i, I don't think it's going to be wise i hope you hear my heart and i pray to god that i will bring this message accurately because it's not something we are used to hearing as charismatics, okay? I'm, I'm beginning to suspect, you know, Pastor Kubis asked a question <laughs> yesterday. Why didn't God warn us about COVID? You know, uh, I asked that question a couple of times to him. Um, like, yes, before that massive purchase, why didn't you warn us? But I'm beginning to suspect that COVID exposed the church's bad theology. Um, that we preach from our pulpits and God needed to grab our attention. You, what do you mean by that, Pastor Norman? We were so focused on growing our churches that we forgot to grow our people. Um, you know, we were so focused on ministerial success that we undermined effective Christian living. Um, as you know, I'm battling with these issues. So as, as I took this to the Lord in prayer, I believe He led me back to the issue of doctrine. Doctrine. Why would people, as we looked at last week, as Paul warned Timothy, why would people follow the doctrine of demons? Why did God feel to warn us? Because what He did warn us about, He says, listen, in the latter days, remember that scripture, Many will fall away from the faith and start following the doctrine of demons. Now that tells me already that's, that's something important that we need to look to. We saw at the birth of the New Testament church how the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were added. That's just the men they counted, not the women and children, were added to the church, to the kingdom of God. And then scripture tells us this is the thing that happened next. Watch this, Acts 2 verse 41. Then those who gladly received these words, say gladly received. Don't sit here with a sour face, man. Uh, please, you know, gladly received <laughs> the word. Were baptized. Thank God for our baptism service today. If you weren't baptized, you're not, <laughs> no, no. But Michael said he'll baptize you. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's too cold, man. <laughs> um, who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued, say continued, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So what did they do? After they received salvation, 
they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. That's an interesting afterthought. Then great, then fear came upon every soul. Now that fear is like a worship, right? It's not, oh, I'm afraid of God. I'm gonna, afraid He's going to punish me now. No, it's almost like a reverential thing that came over. It's like these guys were serious. They're like, something is happening here. And that was the results. And many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Why? Because they steadfastly followed the apostles' doctrine. Now, I want to say something to you. You are following somebody's doctrine. Whether you believe it or not, you are either following the doctrines of demons or the world, or you following God's doctrine. But all of us live, the world will call it a worldview. You get what I'm saying? But you are following. And what shapes our thinking is what becomes our doctrine. Oh, write that down. Thank you. That was so good. You know? <laughs> you know? But it's true. If Netflix series are shaping your thinking, that's going to become your worldview. If you're spending more time steadfasting, steadfastly following something, that thing is going to shape you. What you look at the longest becomes the strongest in your life. You see, we are living in a day and age where all absolutes are under attack and being destroyed in the hearts and minds of our children's generation. Isn't that true? All absolutes are under attack. People don't even know what they are anymore. I identify as... Dude, just look at the plumbing. We had a plumber come out this week. He didn't tell me this geezer is actually a water bag. No, it's a geezer. Yeah, it looked like this pipe is going here. Yeah, you're not getting water there because this pipe is wrong. It is straightforward. But it's a truth that's now under attack. Do you know that in Canada, for those of you who want to immigrate, do you know that in Canada, at this moment, law has been passed. That if your toddler tells you, I am uncertain about my gender. That by law, if you don't take your child for treatment, hormone treatment, that they can take away your child. It's crazy, isn't it? Right? You know, if truth is... Excuse me, if truth is negotiable to us, what kind of world are we leaving behind? That's why the first believers continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Why is this so important? Kevin J. Connor, one of the greatest theologians of our time, said, Doctrine received, believed, and practiced determines a person's character, behavior, and destiny. The great teacher and pastor Derek Prince said after 50 years in ministry, he made this statement. The problem is, talking about Christians, 
that their lives have, have, um, have been as varied as their backgrounds. But underneath them all, I've continually discerned one basic deficiency. They have never laid a sound doctrinal foundation. Basically, they didn't know the word. And that's why Christians are struggling. We receive this stern warning from the Old Testament. Hosea 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because they have rejected knowledge. There's a well-known story about an Irishman who traveled to the United States. And in those days, the only way to get there was through an ocean liner. He didn't have a lot of money. So he finally put all his money together. He bought a one-way ticket to New York Harbor. And he didn't have money for food. So the only, because he was going to be on this ocean liner for three weeks, he bought cheese and crackers. And every day when breakfast, lunch, dinner was being served, he would eat a little bit of these cheese and crackers. As they harbored into, uh, got to the harbor in, um, docked in New York Harbor, the captain of the ship saw him and says, Excuse me, sir, were you on the ship? He says, Yes. He says, why did I never see you in the dining hall? And he explained to me, he said, well, I didn't really have money. I only had money for the, for the ticket. I didn't have money for food. He said, but sir, your meals were included in the ticket's price. Some of you are already hungry right now. I can see it on your face. you like, you need to finish the sermon. I need to go and eat after that story, right? Would you agree with me that this man's lack of knowledge cost him dearly? The same way many Christians are starving spiritually because they don't understand basic Christian doctrine. Doctrine's definition is something taught, teachings, instruction, to teach the substance of something. Now, I know many people who have been maybe longer in the faith, uh, you might have several objections when you hear the word doctrine because there wasn't always a positive connotation to the word. But let me clarify by saying no man can confine God to mere articles of faith or a doctrinal statement. But God did reveal himself in the 66 books of the Bible. And he says all scripture points to Jesus. Scripture is there for us to get to know Jesus. We need to know the word. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11. We're going to look at a lot of verses today. So write them down. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Our work's going to be tested. Our faith's going to be tested. Amen? So we have a choice on which foundation will we build our lives. Christ is the foundation upon which we want to build as a church. Amen? Our doctrine is our foundation. But many Christians are trying to build a house, but they've got no solid foundation. They are renovating their kitchens. They're putting in a new bathroom. Oh, this is South Africa, so we put in solar as well. 
you know. But while we are doing all these renovations, trying to make our house pretty, our foundation is wood, straw, and hay. Would you say that you're in danger of losing your home? You're busy building your life on something, family. You're busy building your life. But the foundation is not solid. Your doctrine is not solid. This brings me to something I want to discuss today. The first doctrine I want to discuss with you. And that's the doctrine of hardship. The doctrine of hardship. Did you sense the resistance inside you when I said it? <laughs> Come on. Right? Like, I don't know where this is going. I thought we were a happy, happy church. We're going to be happy. Don't worry. Many Christians stumble. And I was one of them. Because they don't understand this reality of the Christian walk. And I'm going to explain it. I'm going to clarify it for you, and you're going to see it's going to be good news, okay? Listen to what Jesus said, Luke 6, 47. He says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show whom you whom he's like. In other words, we can also say, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, follow my words. Make my words their doctrine. Am, am I correct in saying that? Right? He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. There we go. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it. Would you call COVID a stream? Hmm? No, it wasn't a stream. It was a bloody river, man. <laughs> no, I'm just, okay. So, right? But could not shake it. For it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on earth without a foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently. So the stream beat vehemently against two houses. Didn't ask you what color you were. Didn't ask you your cultural background. Didn't ask you if you were rich or poor. It didn't ask any of those questions, what you identify as or not. The stream came and beat against the house. Right? And immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So family, we are all building our lives. Every day we are busy building. But Jesus is clear in this parable that if you are building your life, build it on a solid foundation. Because, here's the thing, floods will come. One translation says, the wind came. Or no, one of the Gospels, rather, not one translation, one of the Gospels. Because we find this in more than one Gospel. Right? Many Christians were so disillusioned after the pandemic because they weren't expecting any difficulty in their lives. Why would God allow this? Why has this happened to me? Am I under God's grace? And if I am, how could this have happened to me? You see, the reason for that is because the charismatic church has villainized suffering and hardship. Isn't that true? 
if there were any form of suffering in someone's life, it must be a sign that they've opened up a door <laughs> in their life somewhere, right? Their confession must have been off. And by doing that, we villainize something that I will show you God actually allows to your favor. Right? And then, <coughs> we need a prophecy to prophesy away the hardship. We need to go to a conference to conference away the hardship. Yet, <laughs> I promise you, I spoke to a gentleman one day. He got a flat tire. He's like, no, I must have opened up. I must have opened up the door to the devil somewhere. I'm like, what a torturous way to live. Isn't that true? Now, yes, sometimes. I'm not saying that you can't do stuff that opens up spiritual doors into your life. But that's why, that's the whole point of the sermon. That's why we need sound doctrine. Amen. So 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. This is the apostle of grace speaking to us. You therefore must. Say must. It wasn't a suggestion, was it? If I tell my kids you, kids, you must do something, I'm not negotiating with them. I'm giving a command. Right? Right. You do. <laughs> okay. So, right. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now that's some straightforward military talk right there. Right? So if the corporal comes to you, Troop! You must! Okay, never mind. Let's not go there. Okay. Life, this side of heaven. Let me just help you. Life, this side of heaven will never be a bed of roses. You might have your white picket fence. You might have your golden retriever running around in your front lawn. But it's not always going to be a bed of roses. Right? Nobody wants to say amen to that one. But I also need to make it clear that nowhere does it say that God is the source of hardship or suffering. He came to bring us life and life more abundantly. So we understand that. But we also live in a broken world. We are also in a war zone. Isn't that what Paul just said? He says, be a good soldier. Why would you need to be a soldier if there's no warfare? Amen? He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. If you're in the army, you're wearing your browns, you're not in civvies. Right? That's, that's just a reality. But, if you are alive, and here comes the crux of it. If you are alive and growing, alive 
and growing. You will face hardship because we live in a hostile environment. Why? Why? Because new growth brings new battlefields. New growth brings new battlefields. The writer of Proverbs put it in more relatable language. He says in Proverbs 14.4, Where no oxen are, the trow is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. There's a lot of wisdom right there. This is a small MBA for the businessman. Right? In two sentences. How many of you have ever been to a cattle farm? Come on. What's the first thing you notice? The smell and then the flies. Right? So according to Solomon, boss, I've got so much in my life. If you want a life without any poo or dung, there's a way to do it. Stop living and stop growing. Just live a small, old, contained life and become bitter. Because that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to become bitter. Oh, family. Sometimes we need to stretch ourselves. When people come to me and say, Pastor, I just want enough for me and my family. You have settled for a small life. I'm, I'm not fighting with you. Because that is the tension, isn't it? That you want to go for where it's comfortable. And in here, it's comfortable. It's comfortable not going to the gym, is it? It's comfortable not to exercise. <laughs> it's comfortable where there's no fighting and everything is happy. But right there, that's your enemy. That way of thinking is your enemy. Right? The bigger the farm, the more oxen, the more dung. If you've ever walked on a farm, you need to look where you're walking. Amen. <laughs> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yes, you need to shine it. Otherwise, you're going to step into the dung. Amen. That's what I mean. Okay, never mind. <laughs> when pastor starts singing, we know. <laughs> So increase and growth comes by the strength of an ox, but so does the dirt and the work. New growth, new battlefields. If you want your business to grow, there's going to be some new challenges. If you've ever increased in business, I remember when we moved from one property to Farm City family, the increase in dung was spectacular it was magnificent there was so much crap we have to deal with we had to deal with all over again but the growth was also spectacular the increase and the land you're taking family if you are in a war and you take new ground you are responsible for that ground and God wants you to take new ground in your life. He wants your life to increase. The same is true with any growth. 
When I was single, I was the holiest guy on this planet. I thought I was holy, people. I'm a Bible college student. Hallelujah. I glow in the dark. I can pray in tongues for 14 hours. Listen, when I met my wife, I realized I'm not as holy as I think. But it was growth in my life. But now I saw, oh my goodness. Maybe it's not a good idea to pray for 14 hours in tongues because you need to get a job. I mean, so you, you need to provide. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then increase comes with children. It's more space, more challenges. You see what I'm saying? With growth, new battlefields always come. Amen. That's why Paul says, Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's a war against you. Not does growth only bring natural challenges. It brings supernatural challenges. Because you're a Christian and the devil hates you. And he understands more than the church that you were placed on this planet with an assignment before you. And that assignment is to take new ground. That assignment is to expand the kingdom of God. Why do you think God gave you that job? Why do you think God gave you the increase? Why do you think God gave you the promotion? Why do you think your business is growing? It is because God has blessed you with that. So that you can expand the kingdom of God. It's not just for you. Amen. You are a kingdom builder. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm a kingdom builder. <coughs> Do you honestly think God just put you on this earth, give you a job, and say, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's okay, enjoy it. No, you are here with an assignment. And the devil understands that more than you. That's why your life is under attack. That's why your life is under attack. Because he doesn't want you to realize, oh my goodness, once this person wakes up, listen, the devil won't launch a significant attack on an insignificant person. The reason why you've been through what you've been through, the reason why you've been under so many attacks is because there's potential on the inside of you. And he's afraid of you and he would rather kill you in your infancy than when you're a grown soldier. It's easier, understand what I'm saying in a context, it's easier to kill a baby than a trained soldier. That's why when those people became born again in the book of Acts, the first thing they did is that they submitted themselves to the apostles' doctrine so that they could grow. You start feeding them. Boom, 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 boom. Amen? Here's some steak and growth hormone and protein shake. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to make a good soldier out of you. I want to be a princess. I don't want to be a soldier. Toughen up, buttercup. That's what you are. You can fight in your princess clothes if you identify as a princess. I don't care. You can fight in your rainbow suit. I don't care. As long as you fight the good fight of faith and you build God's kingdom. Amen. So he will attack you on three fronts. He will attack you, number one, through the world. 
What does that mean? The pressures and influences of this world will try and mold and shape you every day. You get what I'm saying? It will try and mold and shape you. So statistic, uh, no, uh, research has shown, psychological research has shown, that once you are in a certain position, you know why we don't put recliner seats in church? <laughs> yes, Pastor. Well, that is a damn good question. I want to know. Amen. Okay. No. So, um, you take information much quicker when you are in a relaxed position, and that information is said to shape your worldview. If you are so. The world calls it meditation. The highest form of meditation that you can do is when you are sitting, relaxing with your feet up. Like you're in front of a TV. So where does the most shaping of your worldview take place? Think about it. Amen? Why do you think we are being bombarded with series after series after series after series. And just look at the moral values. It declines with every one of them. So our young people are actually being shaped to think, well, marriage is not important. I can live together. That's okay. I can sleep with whoever I want to sleep. I can do whatever I want to do. The value of life is nothing because years ago it was Angela Fletcher, who you stayed away from if you're old enough to remember because everybody around it died it seems. But, but it was innocent stuff. Ewul, come on. Come on, who wanted to be a, a pilot? When I mean, Knight Rider, right? John Wick, now it's John Wick. Thank you for making my point. He's like, what are you talking about, Pastor? It was the cars, it was the motorbikes, it was the airplanes, all the choppers and stuff. Now, it's nothing to see the bodies of dead children in TV programs, even dead babies. We've become so desanitized. So, I need to move on. It will go through the world. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa, that is a strong statement. Well, hold on, but because it, it confuses me. Because the term, the world, is such a broad term. Is it the world what God loved to the extent that He gave His only Son? Now He's telling me not to love it. Right? So in this case, we need to read the next verse and what the world represents. So verse 16 of 1 John 2 says, For all that is in the world, say in the world, now it names three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. So three things here, he says, represents the world. The lust of the flesh. That is the craving for sensual gratification. Right? And we can continue on there. I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to look, look at this a bit more later on. Then he says, the lust of the eyes. 
So that's the greedy longings of the mind. Every time I see Juan's Jeep Grand Cherokee and he starts it here and I hear that V8, you know, I have to fight the lust of the eyes and the ears. Amen. The greedy longings of my mind. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. When you continually dream, I'm just joking. <laughs> when you can, no, I'm not. Wait a minute. I need to be honest. Wait, okay. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Okay. So when you, here's the thing. When you continually dream of what you don't have. Amen. Because isn't that the first temptation? When the snake came to Eve and he told her everything she doesn't have. She didn't see what she had. She had the whole world, the whole, the whole garden. She had, but did God really say? Right? <laughs> Once you have something, you already dream about the next thing. You just get the new iPhone and then you wonder about the next one they're going to bring out. It just keeps you in that continual cycle. What about contentment? What about now? And then he says the world is the pride of life. The pride of life. Now that is when we put our trust in our own resources, our, in, in, in the stability of earthly things. Does that make sense? So family, the government can't assure you of tomorrow. They can't. No investment portfolio can save you. Can save you. Nothing is so stable that it deserves our worship except God. That's why Jesus said, what use it if you gain the whole world yet lose your soul? Here's the second thing, and it ties in with this. The enemy will attack you in the area of the flesh. Romans 8 verse 5 to 6. For those who live according to the flesh, say flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death. You can also say to be fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's Paul, not me, who said that. So he's basically saying, this is like, this is a whole series in itself. He's basically saying, listen, your flesh is constantly in war with your spirit. There's an Old Testament verse that says, do not lean on the arm of the flesh. The flesh says, I can do it. I'm strong enough. Your flesh doesn't want what the spirit wants. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because your spirit will say to you, get up, get to church on a Sunday morning. Your flesh will say, snuggly, buggly, wuggly, it is so nice in my bed. It is warm. Pastor Norman will understand. He's a nice guy. No, he won't. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to stream. Thank God for YouTube. But the great thing about the flesh is you can discipline it. <gasps> he used the D word in church. Discipline. Oh, how I hate that word. But you can discipline your flesh. Paul said in that one verse, he says, listen, like a boxer, I train every now. If you've ever done boxing training, if you've never done it, go to Dominique. She's got a gym. And then you will understand prayer so much better. Amen. Your prayer life will go from here to here. You will, you will understand why Paul specifically said, like a boxer, I train my body and I do not beat the air. Right? 
the great thing is we can discipline him. And here's the third thing, how the devil will attack you. He will attack him himself. He will attack you, the devil. The devil's strategy is to get you off track, make you weak, so that you will never be a threat to his kingdom. Now, if you don't believe in the devil, wait until you get married and have in-laws. I mean, no, no, I'm just saying, okay, so... <laughs> You need, uh, we need to turn them into in graces. I mean, not in, in laws, in grace. I mean, so, so he will try and distract you. He will try and ruin you by drawing you into destructive temptations. He will keep you busy, busy, busy until God's house is not a priority to you anymore. Amen. Family, you have an enemy. That alone should tell you that you will face hardship. Because life is easier without an enemy, isn't it? But if you've got an enemy, he's going to go for you. So here's the thing. I want to say this to our church. Understand this. You're not just any businessman. You're a Christian businessman. You're not going to do business like the world. There's an enemy. You're going to have to pray. And for you, business is going to be spiritual warfare. You're going to have to go into certain board meetings and bind a spirit of strife. Right? If there's corruption, you're going to have to pray against it. Do you not just a parent, you're a Christian parent. You're not just a husband or a wife, you're a Christian husband and wife. You think they're hitting on you because you're so pretty. No, it's because there's a devil. <laughs> so, it's because there's a devil. And he wants, to, he wants to ruin your relationship. Amen? You have an enemy. But you also have a savior. And I'm going to be honest with you. Suffering and hardship is something I avoided my whole life. I mean, who would want to willfully subject themselves to suffering? It just didn't make sense to me. But we are lying to ourselves because every day millions of people go jogging and cycling and exercise at the gym, do endurance sport. So we recognize something, don't we? What do we recognize? Write this down. Nothing good happens to our character during prolonged periods of comfort. <laughs> I don't like this sermon. But it's true. I give you enough money. I make you as comfortable as possible. I want to see what happens to your prayer life. I want to see what happens to your devotion. Right? Come on, you can say amen. It's okay. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 2 in the Amplified. So since Christ suffered, what did Christ do? Suffered in the flesh for us. Listen to what he says. For you, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose. That's a command, isn't it? Patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin. And has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God. 
so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life giving or living by his human appetites and desires, but he lives for what God wills. Look at the choice of words here. Arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose. What, what an interesting statement. So, I should have actually done this just for effect. If I take my blue bag and I, I walk up to Ben, I say, Ben, here you go. And I take out a 45 Colt handgun and I give it to him. I'm going to have your attention, right? But what did I do? I just armed him. And if you're not used to warfare, if you're not used to those kinds of things, immediately you're like a bit shaken, like, what's a gun doing here? What is this the Salvation Army? Like, <laughs> we, put, <laughs> we put the Salvation in Army. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> what is happening here? But I've just armed him. Now we've got somebody in the audience that's armed. Your attention is going to be like, what is Ben doing? I hope he's sane, first of all. I hope there's nothing wrong with him psychologically because Bozanon just handed him a gun. He just armed him. Your attention is immediately drawn to that. Now he says, so since Christ suffered in the flesh for you, arm yourself with the same thought and purpose. So the moment is like, Christ has suffered. I need to make that my mindset. That suffering is not an issue for me as a Christian. What have I done? I've just armed myself with a purpose. You guys following what I'm saying? Armed against who? The devil. He's taking notice. He is a Christian that is willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. I'm going to explain what I'm saying. Don't get all freaked out. So suffering is not a problem because as Christ suffered, I can also suffer. In fact, in Philippians, it says that was what we should do. <laughs> right? This is a mindset. And this mindset, the Apostle Peter says is a weapon in spiritual warfare. So I'm willing to endure hardship for the cause of Christ. I'm willing to put my flesh down for the cause of Christ. I'm willing to say that because my Savior suffered on a cross, suffering is not an issue for me. I will do what needs to be done. Go and look at the early church. Amen? Look at how the early church lived. Family, I think if we take the, the, the church in the book of Acts and we compare it side by side to the modern church, it's going to be like that movie, Madagascar, where King Julian goes, meet the pansies, everybody. <laughs> like, sorry, I've had toddlers. I mean, so <laughs> and isn't that true? So I just want to say quick, some quick things about hardship. Hardship doesn't mean you're a victim. We don't glory in our suffering. Like, oh, I'm going to dress weird. And 
look weird. Look at me, I'm suffering. I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm so holy. No. We don't wear a badge of suffering. Because the Bible says to bring in the balance. The Bible says, as Christians, we are more than conquerors. Amen? We are overcomers. We are victorious. But we are willing to endure hardship, meaning that we don't avoid the fight. Amen? We embrace it. The what fight, Pastor? The fight that Timothy spoke about, the good fight of faith. Amen? So adversity, I love what Rick Godwin said, he preached a sermon many years ago. Adversity is the breakfast of champions. It is the breakfast of champions. You are saying to the enemy, you want to throw this at me? I'm not drawing away in fear. I'm not hiding away in fear. I will stand on the cause of Christ. Having done all to stand, I'm going to stand. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. Amen? Amen. Here's the second thing. Hardship molds our character. It molds our character. Listen to what James says. James 1 verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Say all joy. Say to your neighbor that was your second choice. Pass it tomato sauce. No, okay, never mind. <laughs> count it all joy. Now you're not going to forget all joy. Every time you're going to put that tomato sauce, thank you, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I'm going to enjoy this hamburger. Amen. So count it all joy. What? When things go right, when the money is in the bank, count it all joy when things are just going the way you want them. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. No, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> Ish. I don't know about that one, but that's what he said. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Your faith is going to be tested. Amen. When the, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I mean, if you can do with more patience. Say thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's one way to get it. It's the testing of your faith. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. <laughs> How can we count it all joy when hardships and trials are befalling us? Family, because it means we are growing. Amen. <laughs> it means we are not in bed with the world. There's something about someone that's been through a desert. I heard, I heard, uh, I don't know who the guy was, um, but he made this statement. He's, he's a, like a political analyst, some young up-and-coming gentleman who's very clever, apparently, if, if I listen to him. But he says, he was at some African convention, the, and he said, the problem with Africa is that we insist, uh, sorry, he said, the problem with Africans, sorry, that's his word, not mine, put away the machetes and stuff. The, the problem, but listen to what he said. The problem 
with Africans all across Africa is that we insist on electing leaders that's never built something of endurance and substance. There's something about following a leader that's been through a desert. Amen? There's something about the Christian who has endured something and come out the other side with their faith intact and strong. God God elects Moses. Moses leans on the arm of the flesh. He ends up killing a dude. Hiding him. Right? And then these forensic investigators see his eyes like, oh, it was him. That guy, Moses. Okay. Oh, you got me. What did he do? He flees. He goes into the wilderness where God had to shape him for 40 years. So that the next 40 years of his wonderful existence, he can lead. Two million stubborn, hot-necked people, God's words, not mine, through that same wilderness. Amen. How was your life? (laughs) Amen. How's retirement going for you, Moses? Come on. Here's my third point. Hardship teaches us obedience. Here's a verse that that I was in the first Bible college. And we were touring the whole of South Africa. And some Tani in Kimberley decided, this is little Norman. I still had an afro. This is his verse. This is the verse of his life. Even though Jesus was God's son. He learned obedience from the things his father told him. No, that's not what's standing there. He learned obedience through the law. He learned obedience through what he read in a book. No. Jesus, the Son of God, learned obedience from the things he... Sorry, what was that word? The S word in church. Sure. (laughs) He learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. If you're going through hardship, it means you're getting stronger. It means you are growing to become more like Jesus. It means the devil is afraid of you. It means, family, that the enemy took his best shot at you, but you're still standing. Come on. It means that you are winning. It means that not only are you not destroyed, now you are better, more experienced, and you're a better fighter. So next time, you are better prepared. For all these things. I want to close with this. Pastor, I don't understand. I thought we were a grace church. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going through all the scriptures now because obviously I'm way over my time. But the Apostle Paul wrote, He says, a fawn in the flesh has been given to me. The fawn in the flesh. Now, theologians speculate. Some said it was yet some kind of eye condition. If you just go and read the scripture, it says, he suffered persecution from, from others. That was his fawn in the flesh. He says, a messenger from Satan. 
<laughs> right? And then he says this. But his grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me. If Paul had to endure hardship, shipbreak, man, the dude, the best for me is, like, have you ever been in a ship in turbulent water? Even in artists, man. It's like, why do you think that water is like, (laughs) people get sick. It's like horrible. Can you imagine going through shipwreck after you've warned the suckers? You told them. You prophesied. The ship breaks. They wash out like on an island. This would be me lying on an island. Jesus, I'm still alive. I mean, check if I've got all my legs. The shark didn't nibble on my toes. He makes a fire, they call. What happens? A snake jumps out of the fire, bites him. You know how many Prozacs I would have popped by then? Just come on, let's be honest. Some of you would have been on social media. Can't believe it. Norman is feeling disgusted. Can't believe this has happened. Right? Brownie face. Angry face. Little devil face. Emojis all the way. Like, I can't believe this has happened to me. God, what is wrong? Why have you done this to me? What have I done wrong? Which door did I open? Door one, two, three, or four, or five? God, all my theology would have been challenged to the core. All my belief about God would have been challenged. Not this dude. He shakes off the snake. Continues with the bride. Everybody watching him. Let's see if he's going to die. Because even they said the gods must be angry with him. Gods must be crazy. I mean, they must be angry with him. He just continues. Doesn't puff up. Doesn't get all red in the face. Doesn't die. Somebody go on the snake bite app. See which snake bit him. Like, doesn't happen. Then they want to worship him as a God. What does he do? He turns around. God uses that whole thing to minister to the people on the island. You think you're going through hardship for nothing. God will use your test, turn it into a testimony. He will use this burden that you've carried, this stuff that you've endured, and it will become a testimony that will preach the gospel to other people. The problem is that we as Christians want to run away from hardship. We want to run away from these things. And listen, it's never for a prolonged period of time. Amen? It's never for a... That you may stand, Ephesians says, in the evil day, singular. But you will have good days, plural, another verse says. So it's never for a prolonged period of time. God's grace will be sufficient for you. But let's, let me put it, can we stop being Christian pansies and just get some backbone? Just, just 
man up, woman up, put on your big gold panties, do what you need to do, man, and just toughen up so that we can stop being these lamsakige christene. Sorry, I have to use Afrikaans. It is not a better word. Just stop being Christian pansies. Like everything must be my way. If it's not hashtag blessed, I don't want it. If it's not gold, I don't want it. If it's not Versace, I don't want it. Just bless me, bless me, bless me. You are blessed for a reason. You are blessed for a purpose. And that is to be the church of Jesus Christ. To be man, to be a saving voice to a lost and dying world that's so darn confused they don't know what they are anymore and we want to run away from a bit of hardship this side of heaven where we're going to have an eternity with him where we're going to have an eternity with our savior and this is a short period of time and we say sorry i can't endure i can't endure stuff anymore man it takes courage to be a christian it takes courage to stand up and swim against the stream. And it's part of our doctrine. It is part of Scripture. We cannot deny it. We cannot run away from it. But the thing is, we've twisted our theology to such an extent that we make it all about us. Man, Christianity is not Instagram. It is not a life filled with selfies. There are hard times. And if we're not prepared for it, we're not going to stand. If we are in denial about it, we're also going to forsake our faith and start listening to the doctrines of demons. That wants to tell us it's all about you. Pastor, how do you know these things? Look at the divorce rate amongst Christians. And I know if you've been, many of you have been through it. And it's hurtful and it's painful. And, and I know in many cases it wasn't your fault. But that's actually my point. That we can turn away from each other so quickly. One little temptation. And it's gone and it's over. What have we been indoctrinated with? I can tell you what, the devil whispering like, Ach, you don't deserve her, you deserve better. Do we stand on God's word? Amen? Can we hold on to the faith? Can we endure hardship as good soldiers? Yes, God wants to bless you. Yes, He wants the best for you. He's given you life. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. And I'll put that in the doctrines. It's there. But let's not run away from other fundamentals. Because it's uncomfortable to our flesh. Do you guys get my heart here? Amen? Can we, South Africa... Regarding, I don't want to get into politics, but South Africa, the very first racially integrated battalion in the old South African army 
was 52 battalion. Very first integrated one. Those of you who've been in the army know what I'm talking about. Those guys were feared. They were called the terrible ones. I love it. And when the kingdom of darkness look at Unveiled Church, they say, oh no, I don't want anything to do with that church. I'm staying out of their way because we are the terrible ones. May demons shudder in fear when one of our church members walk into a room. May demons flee and manifest when one of us walk into a room. May we be so filled with courage. May we be so battle-hardened. Man, that demons want to flee. Why? Because they see Jesus in us. And we are willing to stand. Having done all to stand, we will stand. May we be the courageous ones. May heaven go. That is what the church should look like. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing me some extra time to finish this thought for you this morning. I'll make it up to you. Maybe you are here, maybe you are watching at home. And you say, Pastor, I've lost my courage. I've lost my hardness, my endurance. For scripture says, do not cast away your endurance for it carries great reward. And maybe you are here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've, if, if I have to be honest... I've become soft. And my first invitation is this. If you say to me, Pastor, please pray for me for courage. Just lift your hand quickly. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. No need to be ashamed. There are so many of us. I know I go through it. Lord Jesus, I pray for courage. For everyone watching at home. For everyone responding to this invitation here. I pray for courage. A holy courage from the throne room of God. I pray for a clarity of assignment for everyone under the sound of my voice. That we will know what our assignment on this planet is. That you've called us to great things. Right now, breathe over your people, Lord. I pray for those who do not know you. Maybe you are here. Maybe you are watching at home. And you say to me, I need to make right with God. I'm not where I should be. Spiritually, my life is a mess. My life is a pigsty. And Pastor, if I should blow out my last breath within the next 24 hours, I don't know where I'll open up my eyes, whether it's heaven or hell. And I want to speak to you, those of you watching at home. There's a battle in the spiritual realm. For your soul. And I pray in Jesus' name that you will hear Jesus knocking. For he says, I knock at the door. Whoever opens, I will let in. That you will hear his knock. And maybe you are sitting here and you say, Pastor, I hear that knocking. And I just, I don't want to leave the same way I came. I want to make right with Jesus. If that is you, Will you give me the privilege and the honor of just praying for you? Just a simple prayer. 
Pastor, really, is it that easy to come to Jesus? It's that easy to come to Jesus. Religion has made it difficult, but it's easy. He's already forgiven you your sins. He's already done a work on the cross that assures your salvation. All you need to do is respond by faith. Do you want to respond? Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Today, I invite you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I receive the free gifts of grace and righteousness in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that I can call you Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time, or maybe you've rededicated your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you just to grab, we've got a little booklet. It's for free. It's at the info desk. Just grab it. Please go read through it. Do the study. Look at the scripture in there. It will really help you. From whatever um, uh, platform you've watched this on, please reach out to us if you've watched from home. And we will make sure to get that to you. Amen? Amen. How many of you are glad you came? Well, part of, part, of our, part of our worship is offering number two. Now I'm just teasing. We're just going to partake of Holy Communion. And Pastor Mpo is just going to quickly speak to us about that. Thank you so much. I took up all your time. I'm sorry. I'm a true African, bro. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Norman. Good morning, church. While the ashes are passing the communion, I just want us to read, us, read together the normal scripture that we read, but this time from the message translation. If you have it with the message, please join me as we read together. Apostle Paul says, Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. That's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same, the same thing with the cup. And this, he said, This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Each time we do this, we should remember him. And then he said, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you reenact your words. Whose words? Your words. You reenact your words and action, in your words and action, the death of the master. So in your words and in your actions, you reenact the death 
of the master. So that means communion is not a silent activity. There's action we must do. We must speak. We must use our words. So with our words, we relive, reenact him, his deeds, his goodness towards us. Because he says, then you will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. So we do this again and again. We should never get tired of communion. That's why we also encourage that when you are at home, you can still have communion because it's part of you reenacting what the Lord has done and showing that you have a relationship with him. And you do this over and over. It says you will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never, this is a caution, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. So we must then place value. This is where the words and the action comes in. The action is to place value to communion because it represents who the master is to us. Amen? So we value communion because he broke his body for us. He gave up his life for us. And we have his blood that makes us and, and joins us with him so that we can become one with him. So we should never be familiar, but we must draw back day and day back to communion and we have it and when we have it we must then speak amen so i have a prayer it's from the um pastor pastor joseph prince's prayer so we're just gonna do it as we partake communion it says dear lord jesus i come to you and remember that all you have done for me on the cross Thank you for loving me. You gave up heaven for me. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken so that mine might be whole. As I partake, I receive your resurrection life, your health, and your strength. By your grace, I shall be completely strong and healthy all the days of my life. My eyes shall not grow dim, nor shall my strength be abated. No sickness can remain in my body because the same power that raised you from the grave flows through me. By your stripes, I am healed. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. As we take the cup, we say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your precious blood. Thank you for washing me clean of all my sins. I stand before you completely righteous and forgiven. Your blood has redeemed me from every curse. And today, 
I can freely receive all the blessings that crown the head of the righteous. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, of having communion together. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this place. And we know, Father, that each and every one of us have got a need that we presented to you this morning. Father, may we never go out of this place the same again. We pray for healing. We pray for peace. We pray for sound minds. We pray for restoration, Lord. Only you can give us those. We receive them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Boston, for that was amazing. That was wonderful. What a beautiful morning. Amen. Amen. Just sit like this. I'm going to proclaim a blessing over you as we go. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you. The favor of the Lord surrounds you as a sheep. Thank you, Lord, that as we go into this coming week, we go with a confident expectation of good that we are your children. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you strengthen our arms and our knees. You strengthen our whole being, Lord, so that we are ready for this coming week. We thank you, Lord, that you keep us and our loved ones safe. You keep us safe from harm, safe from any accident or disease, safe from any virus or mutated virus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that good things are coming our way. Right happenings, Lord. You put us at the right place, the right time, doing the right thing because of your favor in this coming week. If you believe it, shout amen, somebody. Bless you guys. Have a lovely day. Please join us for some coffee and tea there outside. Thank you.